Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. On today's show, actress, producer, and all-around legend, Tara Reid. Reid discusses working with the Coen brothers on The Big Lebowski. Charlize Theron and Liv Tyler are in the waiting seats. And I thought, yeah, right, like, I'm going to get this role. Like, there's no way. And uh, I got the role. And that changed my life forever, working with the Coen brothers, because they're so well-respected. And then after that, I got American Pie, I got a three-picture deal you know, and did all these other films. So that really was the one that kind of really put me on the map. Making the cult classic film, Josie and the Pussycat Dolls. Girls had come up to me and said, oh my God, you've changed my life. You've saved my life. And it's, it's kind of crazy, like Melody did, you know, like people really related to that film. They, they loved it. Sharknado. All of a sudden the stewardess says to me, oh my God, I love you in your movie. And I'm thinking American Pie, obviously. He's like, Sharknado is the best movie I've ever seen. And I'm like, what is going on? And then everyone on the streets was noticing it. Like, no one was talking about American Pie. It was Sharknado now. Her 2016 on-air spat with fired former View co-host Jenny McCarthy. She was horrible to me. I mean, and I was very uncomfortable. And the stuff she asked me, I was just like, you know what? I don't need to do this. Like, why? And I knew it was going to get a lot of bad press. And she was really hurtful and really rude. So I left. And trying to break free from her reputation as a party girl. I think everyone thinks I'm just this party girl. You know, don't get me wrong, I like to have a good time for sure. But who doesn't? You know, at that age, who didn't? You know, so I think they really categorized me in such a way that was unfair. But, you know, I'm older now, it's, it's gone away a lot, but there's still that stigma a little bit there, but my life has changed. Everyone's life has changed, you know? You, I'm not 20 anymore. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. <laughs> hey guys, what's up? It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up, Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I'm Evan Ross Katz. I am joined once again by my producer, Matt, aka Stormageddon. Matt, we're about to wrap up 2020. How are you feeling about things? Uh, I am okay, I guess, is the general consensus among most people I know. Uh, you know, this year was particularly rough on me in some ways and then rougher on others. And it was kind of just a trash fire the whole time. Uh, but there's been great, like, joining this incredible show, which has been a highlight of my year. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's just been, it's exhausting, I think, is the word of 2020. I'm always tired. Um, and so, but you know, other than that, things are doing all right. How about you? How are you feeling as we're closing up this year 
of of podcasting of the world like how are you feeling yeah you know uh, similarly to you um <laughs> you know it's funny looking back on thinking about january and february in particular because i think there's this like kind of popular narrative that's kind of almost become a meme at this point, which is like 2020, as you mentioned, the year of like the trash fire. But it's funny to remember those two months at the beginning of the year um, when there were a lot of expectations about the possibilities of 2020, because at that point, I remember like this January narrative of like that began to spring up. It's like this time next year, Trump will be out of office. And there was a lot of it feels like so long ago to remember, but there was a lot of joy I felt emanating in the air earlier on in this year that began to slip away. And then obviously it's just interesting to reflect on the many um, machinations of this pandemic, uh, both on our, our personal lives and also just in the news cycle and the lives of our friends and family. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting time to reflect on the year that we've all had. And amidst it all, I think many people have had triumphs, frustrations, upsets, the myriad of emotions that come. And I think it's important to sort of check in on all of that. And I think more than anything, just have an eye towards the ways in which 2021 can course correct. And, you know, I think both in the political landscape, hopefully in healthcare, uh, human rights, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the list goes on and on. But speaking about things that are good that happened in 2020, Tara Reid is something that happened. Well, she happened before 2020, but she's having a good 2020. And I'm really glad that we're able to have this chat with her. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, obviously, if you clicked on the episode, you know that our guest today is Tara Reed. And I guess the first thing, like, because this kind of blindsided both of us clearly when <laughs> yeah. you were texting me frantically about it um, as we scheduled it into the slate. But how did this conversation with Tara Reed come about? Because it did seem kind of like out of nowhere. It did seem out of nowhere. So for those that aren't following the Tara Reed news cycle, which shame on you. Um, but this began when, so as a lot of you know, there's this HBO show called The Undoing that stars Nicole Kidman that kind of developed a pretty, uh, pretty vibrant fan base over the last couple of weeks. It kind of, it sort of felt a little bit, what's another show? I want to say Tiger King, but Tiger King felt big from the beginning. But there's something about The Undoing where it felt like week to week, it just kind of got a bigger and bigger audience. Anyway, so it was the episode before the finale, and Nicole Kidman posted a photo on her Instagram. Tara Reid commented, I will read it verbatim, quote, you are truly amazing in everything you do. I've been a huge fan forever. Hopefully one day we can work together. I'm producing a movie, Masha's Mushroom. It starring Vivica A. Fox, Billy Zane, Beverly D'Angelo, myself, Tara Reid, Sade, and others. It's truly an amazing script. I would love for you to read it. Shoreline and Universal are doing it. It's a franchise of five films. If you can follow me so I can tell you more, kindly, Tara. Every word of that poetry to me. I mean, the idea of... Beverly D'Angelo, Billy Zane, Vivica A. Fox, Sade, Tara Reid coming together in a five film franchise, immediately I felt all the way tuned in. And so I started posting about it just because this felt very within the wheelhouse of my interests. And I was like, you know what? If Tara Reid is shooting her shot on the comment section of Nicole Kidman's Instagram, I can shoot my shot in Tara Reid's DMs. 
And so, yeah, I, I, I DM Tara. I told her that she had to come on Shut Up Evan, obviously realizing Tara Reid had no idea who I was or who this, or what this podcast was. But again, in the vein of shooting one shot, and I just figured, why not? And um, as the stars so so thankfully aligned, Tara Reid was available, and um, we made it happen very quickly. And in my mind, I just was like, we need to rush this. It, it felt like it could not be delayed. And so we just did this interview. This is one of our fastest turnarounds. Typically, we record the interviews with a couple of weeks of lead time. And this one was kind of like, you know, I I, I joked online, but like, I'm kind of not joking. But like, this felt like a Frost Nixon moment for me, um, mm-hmm. just because this is someone who I've known about and followed for a long time, but not known much about their interior life. And I was mm-hmm. really jumped at the opportunity to sort of like go deep with Tara. Um, but tell me, you know, we typically don't spend the up top talking about the guests, you know, spend the entire time. And yet when I was thinking of topics for us to discuss today, I was like, there is something interesting that I think both came out of the interview, but about Tara Reid in general, just in terms of who she is within the zeitgeist. And I feel like this interview deserves a little bit of contextualizing in terms of how we approached it, um, but also just sort of like, you know, who Tara Reid is, who the Tara Reid of the 90s is, who Tara Reid of the 2000s is, and specifically who Tara Reid is of the 2020s. So looking back on that, where is your sort of entry point to the filmography um, of Tara Reid? I mean, I think it's going to, for me, it's where probably a lot of people first saw her, which is American Pie. And what's interesting about American Pie for me, especially as a queer person, is like, when I watched that movie, I don't know that I was out yet. Uh, The timeline is weird. Again, time in 2020 in general is just hard to follow, let alone before that. But needless to say, like, I've always felt queer, but I don't know that I was out yet. But all of the high school slash college students in that film, like, made me feel a way, right? Like, there was a bit of a sexual awakening to that whole movie because that's what it's all about, right? Like, that's the punchline of the whole movie is having sex after prom. And, like, my earliest memories of her were just how stunningly gorgeous she was, Mm -hmm. how funny she was. And, like, it was just something that I didn't wasn't really taking as much notice. And, like, that was kind of the point of a lot of the, the actors in that movie. Like, from Jason Biggs to Allison Hannigan to, like, Sean William Scott. Like, all of them were designed to be of a way to, like, show the, the hormonal teenager side of, like, what that is from a stress perspective. Not even just, like, a, oh, we're all sexy. We're all, in, like, not a 90210 kind of thing. Mm. And it was really fascinating to me because all of the... The, the whole cast was just portrayed in this way that felt very real for a, a romantic comedy of that age. And I just, I thought her performance was great in that movie and is when I first really started to take notice of her. What about you? What was your early point? Well, it's funny you mentioned American Pie because there's a scene that I wanted to put into the podcast episode that doesn't fit without the visual, but there Uh is a really amazing scene, and I had forgotten that it exists because it had been a minute since I'd seen American Pie, but it's she's in her bedroom And her boyfriend in the film um, wants to give her an orgasm. And so they're engaging in a sexual activity. And her father shouts from downstairs that dinner's ready. And obviously she doesn't hear because she's mid-sex act. And so he starts to walk up the stairs. And he's about to turn the doorknob. And she screams out in ecstasy, I'm coming. And so her father turns around and just whistles his way back down the stairs. And it's just like moments like that. I don't think it's fair to characterize it as like comedic gold 
And that's what I think is really interesting about so much of Tara's work. And this is not downplaying her capabilities as an actress, but it's that a moment like that, you don't necessarily walk away from it being like, oh my God, the way she did that orgasm, blah, blah, blah. And yet I, I, I did laugh out loud watching that scene. I felt like she is such a team player. And I think um, American Pie is a great ensemble film, as you mentioned. She fits into the ensemble so nicely, and I think it's better off for having her in it. And I think looking at so much of her filmography, she oftentimes is part of a bigger whole. You know, whether we're looking yeah. at Urban Legend or Josie and the Pussycats and obviously the American Pie films. Um, so it's interesting that I feel like Tara Reid is kind of like one of those ingredients, like tamarind or something, um, where you don't necessarily think to point it out. And yet, for people that know cooking or baking, they tend to know it's like, oh, without that missing ingredient, this would not taste the same. And I think that's sort of my takeaway. Um, But my entry point to her was definitely Lebowski, um, Mm -hmm. just because I remember as a young person who didn't connect with like the, the the idea of the dude that was like so against everything that I believed myself to be at the time. I gravitated towards the Julianne Moore character, obviously. And then Tara Reid who plays Bunny Lebowski. She's in the film very, very little, but she's very, very memorable uh, within the film. But I remember that was my first time seeing her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the first time she really was on my radar was urban legend um, because I remember that character specifically in Urban Legend just being, she played like this like sex therapist talk show, talk radio host at a college. And I remember her like giving fake fellatio to the microphone at one point, if I remember correctly. And just be, and then I guess this followed through in American Pie as well. But I just remember being really, I gravitated towards how sex positive she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and she always seemed really in control of her sexuality. It didn't feel like, um, it didn't feel like it was under the male gaze that it was being presented. Um, so that was my beginning. But then I think that the, the role of hers, and it's one of her smaller roles, but that I have the most sincere love for would be Cruel Intentions. Um, sure. Just because, again, speaking of like ingredients in a larger part, I feel like my two of my favorite performances in Cruel Intentions, obviously besides all the leads, are Joshua Jackson and Tara Reid, both of whom have these very small cameos in the film but are so memorable. And also, and this is something Tara says later in the interview, just coming in and doing one scene in the movie, a la Drew Barrymore in Scream, is not something you get a lot of today. And I just think it's the ultimate, like, leave you wanting more kind of scenario. And I just thought it set up the tone of Cruel Intentions so well. And I remember that's when she really registered for me. But I think one of my takeaways from, you know, researching her ahead of this interview was in addition to all of the films we just mentioned, you have Josie and the Pussycats, you have Van Wilder, you have The Crow, Wicked, Prayer, which I vividly remember. Um, (laughs) And then you have this slew of horror films throughout the 2000s, many of which were not on my radar, admittedly. And then, of course, you come to present day when you get Sharknado. Sharknado 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and I believe they're... I I feel confident saying we will get all the way up to Sharknado 18, as Jenny McCarthy (laughs) once predicted. Um... But in addition to all of this, I think one of the reasons that I was so interested in talking to Tara was she kind of is seen to many people as 
someone that existed in the 2000s as this wild party girl who was always out on the town, who was always in some state of inebriated. I think that she sort of holds a place in a lot of people's memories as being like that girl. And if you know what that girl is, it's like she, for me, symbolizes that girl. And one thing I really was hoping to explore through this interview, and I'll be honest, I don't think we got like, tremendously deep into it because my goal with this interview was to go far and wide uh, rather than to go too deep on a singular subject because I felt like there was so much ground that I wanted to cover. But one of those areas that I do think we scratched the surface of is just this idea of like when you get caught in only being people's perceptions of who you are at a specific moment in time and having to grapple with or reconcile with people's inability to see you as anything other than that. I think a really good example of that is Lindsay Lohan, who is kind of also similarly has an image that Tara Reid has. I think a difference that I see between the two of them, um, they're both very talented. I actually don't think there's a difference there, but I think Tara's filmography, um, no disrespect to Lindsay Lohan, and I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback for this, but besides Mean Girls and The Parent Trap, um, I know Lindsay has some memorable roles, but I think that those are her two really only incredible films, if you will. And Tara's a part of like a lot of really incredible films. I mean, the fact that she started with The Big Lebowski, not for nothing. But it's interesting how someone like Tara has not been afforded opportunities to sort of break out of that. And unlike, again, another example of someone who at one time was perceived to be a party girl, someone like a Britney Spears, I don't think she has the fandom that sort of is in her corner or defending her or really wanting to see her succeed in the same way that I think we do with some of our other quote-unquote reformed party girls. Um, What's your perception around all of this? I mean, I agree with all of that, right? Like, we all saw it. And what I think it's really interesting about Tara, though, and we got into this a little bit in the interview, is she is so much more aware of everything that I think people gave her credit for. And, like, even on film, she often played ditzier characters. Like, I, first of all, I love Josie and the Pussycats. Ugh. That soundtrack is still flawless to this day. It is an incredible movie that got a lot of, uh, I think, unfair hate because they, they were trying to compare it to the cartoon, which it wasn't going to be the same thing. Um, but it's actually an incredibly well-made movie. Um, but she plays Melanie, who in the cartoon, of course, as well, and in the movie, is a ditzier kind of airheady character. That's where the humor comes from. But what I love about Tara's portrayal and what leads into like her real life is like she wasn't afraid to play that kind of role, even though people at that time were saying she was that person. She still played that role, made it her own, and still was genuinely funny at many moments in that movie. And I think it speaks to her character and her integrity, which we don't see a lot of in the public space. But when we spoke to her, it was clear that she understood it. And even when you ask, you know, you know, spoilers, but, you know, in the, epi- in the episode, you do ask her about what it was like with these kind of haters and coming up, especially during the party years. And I think for me, I, I saw that, but I never took that as, this is the complete Tara Reid. I took it as she has a reality show. She's playing up the camera. We all know how reality TV works. Like some is more scripted than others, but there are definitely things that are lined up in a way to, and edited in a way to give a presentation. And I think like the fact that she is so aware of all of that and that she is willing to still talk about all of that is really a sense, again, to her integrity. And I've always seen that integrity in her performance. And, like, I I talked before the show about how I love Sharknado. 
She is unironically gung-ho about it. And even though it seemed like a giant red flag when she was making it, it ended up being this huge thing. And I love her for leaning into it yeah. once once that became clear. And I also, first of all, speaking of another clip that I could not put in the podcast because it required the visual context, there's a scene from, I think it's, I think it's the fifth Sharknado, but I could be wrong. And it's it's on YouTube if you if you have a computer or phone nearby. Uh, and it's her. Ian Ziring comes down on a helicopter on a roof, and Tara Reed grabs the base of the helicopter with her bare hands, grabs the helicopter, shakes it so that Ian Ziring falls out of the helicopter, and then pushes the helicopter off, and it goes flinging back into the sky and first of all don't take your eyes off of her face in that moment because it's really great moment to moment work but it's moments like that that it's like she just commits in a way that feels both it's an interesting straddle because i don't there is there there for sure is a level of like of aware campiness to it but a commitment to it that I don't know. There, there's a lot of layers there. That either there's a lot of layers there, or there's no layers at all. And the fact that I can't distinguish between the two ultimately makes it really interesting. Yeah. But I do think it's notable that when I told people that I was having her on, a lot of the questions that I received via DM were about her famous 2016 interview with Jenny McCarthy, Gone Awry, which we get into. Um, they were about an instance where she was on the red carpet and her boob fell out of her dress, which, hey, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I I thought of that moment immediately when I remembered, uh, when I got when I got into research mode for Tara. And some other moments. There's a really famous clip online of, it's from like over a decade ago, it's Kim Kardashian and Paris Hilton walking into a club and Tara's outside the club and they walk right past her and completely ignore her. And that went really viral as kind of being like the womp womp um which i understand but i think that people tend to for whatever reason remember those aspects of tara more than they do to give her credit for her film work and i think that's interesting i don't think it's saying that people are wrong for remembering those moments i mean not for nothing when i think of tara reed i think of that jenny mccarthy interview it's just really it's truly burned in my brain um But I think one of the joys that I had in revisiting this was watching a lot of her old roles, particularly American Pie, in thinking that if we're going to consider types, I just don't think that they're, as much as, I'm saying you, because and maybe you are not the you, but as much as you tend to think that Tara Reid is like that type, I don't think that there exists a lot of, whatever that type you again whoever the you is here but whatever one might think that tara reed is like that type of sort of like um perhaps ditzy girl you might want to call her one i don't really get ditzy girl vibes from her and two she i don't want to be so generous as to say like an enigmatic quality because i don't think that's what it is but there's just a really unique quality about her and i would say I feel this way about her, too, that she has such a memorable speaking voice, Uh um, in addition to her distinct look, that that sort of just, like, raspy... And it's not Valley Girl. It's, um, it's, It's... There's just something about her voice that immediately takes me back to a place, but it's such a reminder of, like, there's just so many elements of her, like... Even the way her body looks in a swimsuit, I feel like is so specifically Tara Reid. Like there's just aspects yeah. of it that are so specific to her. And I'm really, 
glad to have the opportunity. And one, one thing I like about this show that we've we've built is this idea of we can have an Olivia Wilde on the show to kick off the season, and we can have a Tara Reid. And as much as they have so little in common on the surface, um, one through line for, throughout a lot of our guests is just this idea that a lot of people that face public scrutiny that and you know this is the internet culture aspect of this podcast when you have when you are a public figure whether one who chooses to like really engage with their public self which is those who sort of like manage their instagram page and are uploading content or more of a tara who sort of like had fame thrust onto her not necessarily against her will i'm not saying she didn't want it but i'm just saying it's something that sort of came with as a as a, as a byproduct of the work she was doing i think it just is it's it's different i think and she said, mentions this in the interview but it's like tara throughout the first m many chapters of her career and obviously she's in a new chapter now which we get into but throughout those first chapters there wasn't the ability to write a notes app apology on an Instagram or set the record straight, or there wasn't just as much autonomy from the celebrity perspective to push back at these um, ideas put out, whether it be by the media or again, this was paparazzi culture it was like in its prime in Tara's days. And one other thing I'll say that really struck me about the interview is it, this is kind of a throwaway comment she makes at one point, but she talks about the, the fact that famous people don't really hang out today that they used to. She talks about how when she was coming up, it was just like famous people used to hang out together. They would party, they would go out, you know, have debaucherous times together. And because I think that there's a nervousness around either getting caught or someone pulling out a cell phone, or I just think that there's something about that Tara. And honestly, I think Devin Sawa like her was part of a Hollywood that doesn't really exist today that I don't, again, I'm not in Hollywood, so this is just my outsider perspective, but it just seems like there was a connectivity, especially amongst young Hollywood in the nineties and early aughts of sort of like everyone sort of knew everybody. They were going out for similar roles. You had these American pie type films, you know, the she's all that. And these films that were big ensemble young adult films made for young audiences that just don't get made anymore. I feel like you just, again, it's like, it's funny thinking about American Pie because I just don't think a movie like American Pie would get made today. And it's interesting because it's like, it's not, I don't know if it's a matter of controversy, but there's just the premise alone and then having that cast who were all kind of known for a few things, but relative unknowns. You and I spoke off camera about like, you know, who Eugene Levy was at the time of American Pie. Obviously he had been on SETV. Um, he wasn't a nobody, but that was really the role that completely, you know, Schitt's Creek would not have existed for, for Eugene Levy had American Pie not come out. So anyway, all this to say, I think that Tara Reid is part of a really interesting body of work. I mean, even Dr. T in The Women, she was Richard Gere's daughter. Yeah. Um, some of the leading men she's played opposite of, been a part of all these ensemble comedies. And you know what? At the end of the day, I think well, I'll end by saying this. It's like, she's still here. She's still working. She's still, she is producing her own work now. Masha's Mushroom, as crazy as it sounds, and believe you me, it sounds crazy. She is in it to win it. She is a producing this film. She is getting this cast together. She is shooting her shot on trying to get Nicole Kidman. She's putting in the work to try and make material that speaks to her interests and the kind of work she wants to be making. She's hustling. She's putting stuff out. And not for nothing, 
I don't know how much Tara Reid made on those Sharknado films, but I have a feeling she cashed a decent check. And I walk away from this experience with sort of a newfound respect for Tara Reid, but also just really, it makes me wonder if Tara Reid had the opportunity to be taken more seriously by more journalists or just media outlets in general, what could have been. And I, and I, sorry, one other thing I just want to add real quick, when we were editing the trailer for this podcast, one thing that I said to Sean, shout out to Sean Ross, our fabulous social editor, I said, let's be really meticulous here in not trying to make her sound dumb. And I, what I mean by that is I was very aware that there's just, I could see all of the ways in which we could edit this to make her seem less smart than she is. And I didn't want that to be the case. And I I bring that up because I think that there are other interviews of hers that you might watch and come away from it thinking, wow, she sounds a little loopy. But knowing what I know and what you know about the editing process, I sort of, in re-examining those interviews, was like, I don't know if she is as out of it as is seen here or if someone went in with the intention of, let's make this person seem crazy. And again, just hypothesis, if you will, but I feel like Tara Reid has been in a lot of situations in which the person in control was not looking out for her best interests. And so one thing I think we tried to do here, maybe we sucked the landing, hopefully we did, was try and present the best version of Tara that we could with the understanding that we edit all of our guests, even the smartest people we have on this show say dumb shit that we edit out to have them sound better because we want everyone to feel good to put their best foot forward. And so I hope anyone listening to this can come away with it from a newfound perspective. I'm not asking you, I mean, you know, you respect who you want to respect, but I'm hoping that people will go in here with an open mind in terms of the butt of the joke that can sometimes be Tara Reid, sometimes. I hope people walk away from this with a little bit more nuance and perspective into her headspace and and all the things that she's done. And hopefully, as I say, at the end of the interview, like hopefully we can all put a little bit of respect on Tara Reid's name. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head in all ways. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, we say on the show constantly when we're talking to the guests, like if there's anything you don't want, you regret saying, or you made a mistake or whatever, let us know. Like we want them to be comfortable. And, and I think that's something I do on all the podcasts I produce and that I host is like, you want your guests to be comfortable. Gotcha interviews, they exist and people get famous off of those, but that's not what we're doing on Shut Up Evan. That's not what I do on my other shows. And I think something that you made me think of when you were talking about her, how people don't take her seriously and she has really had a great filmography is like, it reminds me of Keanu Reeves, who's having his renaissance now. Like after Dracula, Nobody took him seriously. They thought he was the airhead from Bill and Ted. He couldn't act because of that movie, which is more the movie's fault for miscasting him than him himself. And for many years leading up to The Matrix, he was thought of as this joke. And then he came back into the public eye with The Matrix. But still people were like, oh, you know, quoting, whoa, and all that. Like, But that's just who he is. And then when the John Wick movies came around, it was this resurgence because people realized there's nothing wrong with how Keanu Reeves acts. Mm. That's his cadence. That's his style. And people like the folks who made John Wick learn to utilize it and weaponize it. And I think what's really incredible about Tara Reid and interesting, especially after this interview, is she is finding a way for herself to weaponize her talents, to make it so people see her the way she's always wanted to be seen. And I completely agree that there are tons of folks who are not looking out for her that I think may have 
dictated how we saw her. I mean, even on her reality show, which mm. she talks about in the interview as being mostly fond memories. I think a lot of the editing is what made her look a certain way more than maybe she even was. Right. And it's and this interview, I think, gets to the heart of that because you really see who she is. Right. You, re you really get a sense of the kind of person she is. You know, and you, it's interesting you bring up Keanu Reeves. This makes me also think about Mickey Rourke. Yep. When I'm thinking about The Wrestler in 2008. Yep. And when that came out, that was seen as like this washed up, Mickey Rourke making this triumphant comeback and getting all of this award show buzz. I say that to say I really do feel like there will come along a role for Tara in the next five, ten years in which she will be given the opportunity to really flex her chops. And I would not be surprised if we are having a similar conversation to the Mickey Rourke one that happened in 2008 around Tara Reid. I think it's just a matter of her finding a role that allows her to really show off all that she's capable of. But I certainly feel, and I felt this way before the interview, but it's I certainly know that that capability exists within her. It's all about opportunity. Absolutely. With all of that said, final episode of 2020, my God. Quick shout out, thank you to all of our listeners so very much for sticking with us um, in the first half of the season. Um, and I'm really, really just grateful. I'm wishing everyone the best wishes as we enter into 2021. And I hope that all of the bullshit and strife that people have had to endure this year, I'm hoping that um, this can turn around in 2021. I'm optimistic. That's, that's you know, that's all we can do right now is, is be optimistic towards our future. One thing I am incredibly optimistic about is this interview with Tara Reid. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Let's do it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. She is the star of such mega-hit films as The Big Lebowski, Urban Legend, Cruel Intentions, American Pie, Josie and the Pussycats, Van Wilder, Sharknado, Sharknado 2, the second one, Sharknado 3, oh hell no, Sharknado The Fourth Awakens, Sharknado 5, Global Swarming, and the last Sharknado, It's About Time. Her television credits include appearances on Saved by the Bell, The New Class, Scrubs, Celebrity Big Brother 8, Hell's Kitchen, and her short-lived but not short-memoried reality series, Terradice. She is the great and powerful Tara Reid. I want to thank you so much. I am a tremendous fan of yours. Obviously, I'm human, and I just really appreciate your time. Like This is really, really exciting. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, too. 
So I want to get things started straight away. First of all, again, thank you for being here. I don't want to waste a minute. I first want to ask about this exciting project, Masha's Mushroom, which we're all talking about. Can you sort of talk to me about how that film came to be and specifically this cast, which I'm so into, specifically Sade? I know, that's, that's amazing. So my business partner, she's a director as well. I did a movie with her about two years ago. We became really, really good friends. And so she came up with this whole concept for me. So she wrote this movie for me. And it's going to be a franchise of five movies. It's kind of a crazy story. I mean, everything in the movie is a hallucination. You know, you're, you don't know if it's real or not real. Because what happens is there's this stuff called purple dust. And it goes in the air. And you don't know it. And you breathe it in. And before you know it, you're, you're tripping out, you know, like, you're like, what's going on? Like, and you're watching your friends are over, all of a sudden someone's tripping and they think they're in the painting and they go in the painting and they're swimming with the fish. I mean, it's like a horse, a pink horse will go through the house, like just crazy stuff, you know, but I mean, the colors we're going to use and the stuff, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's, there's never been a movie like this in Masha. I'm the mother. And my daughter, um, I don't want to give it all away. This might give it all away, but whatever. <laughs> and Masha is, uh, she's like, she's a little cuckoo because now she's on the, you know, purple dust, you know, so the powder. And uh, she thinks that it's her daughter's birthday. So she's getting all this stuff for her daughter's birthday and everything's ready. But really, it's her funeral. I mean, it's and that's where we got Sade because we're going to have her sing at the funeral. But no one's going to know that she's there. But she really will be there because everyone's kind of crazy. So it's, it's just amazing. I mean, we have so many great characters and so many cool things and we're going to touch on everything. But then, you know, how I love about it is because you don't know if it really happened. And that's how we go into the second one and the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one, you know, like... It's gonna be it's gonna be really good and, and White Cross is an amazing director. She's just a talent. She's just incredible. I'm really excited to see this movie. Excuse me, I'm really excited to see all five of these movies. Now, can you tell me one actor I am really hoping to see in a future in the sequel, in the third, et cetera, is the actress Nicole Kidman, who you left a comment on her Instagram inviting her to participate in the film. I'm curious, have you heard back from Nicole Kidman? Because like I said, I'm really gunning for her to be in this film. No, because I just finished her TV show. You You're know, doing? Yeah, and I was like, this, this is the best show ever. So then after that, I wrote, I wrote to her. I'm like, you can't lose. Like, you know, maybe she will say yes. Agreed. But we haven't heard anything back yet. <laughs> okay, I'm optimistic. I, I really, yeah, if, if she's listening right now, um, please, we need to see this happen. Tell me about your life in quarantine. How has COVID affected your day-to-day? Um, you know, I mean, everyone's life has definitely changed. But believe it or not, it's not been bad for me because I've been working so much you know, on, on the script with my producer partner, fixing different things, trying to get the actors you want, getting the funding, you know, it's a big deal. Cause then you have the funding and cause of COVID-19, a lot of the funding and financers fell out. So finding the new ones. And so it's just every day we're working on something. So it's, it's keeping me busy. And then also like, I'm also producing another film it's called Three of a Kind. And I'm doing that one as well. And then um, I have another one that we're doing. It's a mafia movie. And it's about the real Costa Nostra, how the five families went down. 
and it, it's a great movie, you know? So we have that. So you're really keeping yourself busy. Yeah, I'm really, really working. And believe it or not, I've done three movies already this year, which is almost unheard of, you know? So I worked at, I did my last movie yesterday. Wow, that's wow. incredible. And you're producing. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk about some of your some of your early work. I want to specifically talk about The Big Lebowski, which is your second film. Blow on them. Huh? Go ahead. Blow. You want me to blow on your uh, toes? Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't blow that far. Are you sure he won't mind? Louie doesn't care about anything. He's a nihilist. Oh, that must be exhausting. You're not blowing. Our guest has to be getting along, Mrs. Lebowski. Oh, you're bunny. I'll suck your cock for a thousand dollars. Wonderful woman. We're all we're all very fond of her. Very free spirited. Brand can't watch though, or he has to pay a hundred. <laughs> That's marvelous. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna go find a cash machine. But it's your first adult role and certainly the role that put you on the map for so many people. The Coen brothers had just come off of Fargo and would go on to direct Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? after Lebowski. What was it like working with them so early on in their professional lives? The Coen brothers was amazing because it was a very, uh, you know, I'll tell you a story behind it, actually. Please. So I went in for the audition, and then I got a call back. And that day, me and my boyfriend at the time broke up. So I was, like, sad and, like, you know, I'm like, whatever. And so I'm like, I'm never going to get this part. Just, But I obviously went to the professional and, you know, to go there. And while I'm there, Shirley's Theron and Liv Tyler are in the waiting seats. And I thought, yeah, right. Like, I'm going to get this role. Like, there's no way. And uh, I got the role. And that changed my life forever, working with the Coen brothers, because they're so well-respected. And then after that, I got American Pie, I got a three-picture deal, you know, and did all these other films. So that really was the one that kind of really put me on the map. When you were shooting that film, did you have any awareness that it was going to go on to become the cultural phenomenon that it has? No, I had no idea, but I just knew how funny Jeff Bridges was. And the, you know, I mean, he really was the character you know, in his robe and his drinking his thing. Like, I mean, he was just, he was the dude, you know, he really was the dude, you know, and the scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman I did with him, God bless his heart, you know, he was just so good in it. So, you know, there's so many great people involved in this film. It was just, it was just awesome to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, and Julianne Moore, were, did you ever interact with Julianne Moore off camera? I know you guys didn't have any scenes together. No, the only thing I did with Julianne Moore, no scenes together, but, I went to, I believe it was the Oscars. And all of a sudden this lady behind me, she's like, Tara, Tara. And I turn around and it's Julianne Moore. She's like, I just want to tell you, I'm a huge fan of your work. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> so I That's, thought that was pretty cool. That is very cool. I love that. I want to talk about Urban Legend. It's one of my favorite movies. It's one of your early film roles. So let me get this straight. You guys just tried out this new sexual position, and now you're stuck. I'm not stuck, he is. Just relax and stop clenching. I saw this happen with dogs once. It's so humiliating. All right, you guys, this is what you're going to do, OK? Hello? Hello? Are you guys there? 
tell me when was the last time you watched Urban Legend? I haven't watched it in a while, but I did suffer. We made a not a sequel. We made up the behind the scenes of Urban Legend about maybe a year or two ago, where the whole cast came in and the director Jamie Blanks is like huge director from Australia and he's a huge horror film and then the cast obviously wasn't bad on the eyes <laughs> yeah not at all yeah and, you know it was a great cast we had so much fun we shot it in Canada and uh we just all got along and it was like being in a like almost like being in camp you know it was really fun and you've gone on to do so many horror roles in the subsequent years what is it about the horror genre that attracts you so much well First of all, the, the horror films are the biggest cult followings pretty much in the world, you know? And uh, the fans are absolutely like, they're so addicted to these films. Like if they make their lives around it, you know? It's like we didn't do Comic Cons and this and that, you know, it's pretty crazy. And they just get so excited. So when you do that, you, you get it, it's different than a comedy. It's different than, you know, a romantic movie or you know it, it has its own genre and it has its own basic like huge fans so doing that it, it gets you really out there but i enjoy doing you know scary movies because then which is funny though because i don't really like to watch one you know what i mean that it's makes scary. sense though yeah, yeah yeah but i like i can't handle it like when i'm about to watch something i i run out of my kitchen but i can't do <laughs> this i can't take it it's too scary but then I know how it's me because I do so many of them. I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Talk to me about your role in Cruel Intentions. Hi, honey. You kept me on hold. I'm sorry. Is something wrong? He told me he loved me. And I believed him. I'm so stupid. Now, darling, it's all right. Just calm down, take a deep breath, step out of the circle. Oh, would you cut your psychobabble bullshit, Mom? There's pictures of me on the internet. What kind of pictures? Nudie pictures! What do you think? Slut. Christ! How could you be so stupid? He was just so charming. And all he did was say how it had killer legs and how he wanted to photograph them. And things just got completely out of hand. Mom, are you there? Mom? You know, Cruel Intentions just won an MTV Movie and Television Award just a couple weeks ago. Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair picked up another award. This film continues to live on 20 years later. How was the part of Marcy Greenbaum first pitched to you? Um, because I worked with a producer before I, from Urban Legend. He was the same producer of Cruel Intentions. So he um, asked me, he was like, will you open up the movie and do this cameo? I'm, I'm like, sure. You know, and it was great. You know, and I loved it. I had a great time doing it. She was a little nuts. She was like, there's pictures of me on the internet everywhere. You know, like, <laughs> it was fun. And that was before the internet was even big. I think it was right. like 20 something years ago. So, you know, that was almost ahead of its time to even have them think that. Completely. What was it like for you watching that film? Because as you mentioned, you have this scene in the very beginning of the film and then you never appear again. So I imagine you didn't quite know what that film was going to be like outside of your scene. So when you saw your scene put into the beginning of the film, what was it like when you watched the rest of the story unfold? Well, it was really, it was really good. I understood how big of a part my mother played in it. And it was just, 
every single actor that movie did so good i mean it's a great film so there was another little film like well not a little film it was a big film but it was cool just to have that cameo you know it's like the cameo in drew barrymore and scream so it's a lot yeah. of fun to open up films you know completely one of my favorite roles in that film is sarah michelle geller as katherine mertoy i was watching an old sarah michelle geller interview and she actually mentioned that the two of you went to high school together PCS was an amazing experience. And you look at like my classmates, Jerry O'Connell, Tara Reid, Donald Faison. I mean, people that I still like, people say, how do you guys have reunions? And I said, well, yeah, just every Saturday, you know, at the coffee bean. Do you have any memories of Sarah Michelle Gellar from high school? Oh, absolutely. We would get off around the same time. I took a bus to, from New Jersey to New York City. So we would get off around the same time in the subway or whatever. So we'd end up walking to school together a lot of times. And also in the school we went to, it was called PCS. So it stands for Professional Children's School. We would be able to go out and say we have an addition at one or two o'clock and we could sign out at the school and leave. You know, so a lot of times when there was like big tests going on or whatever, everyone had an addition, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was good. She was very, really kind. She's a really nice person. And uh, there was a lot of people that came out of there. Macaulay Culkin, yeah. um, Donald Faison, Dash Mihawk, Jerry O'Connell, even way more than that. I can't think of everyone. I'm curious, what was it like going to school, you know, high school in that environment around so many other fellow performers? I imagine it could have made it seem as though everyone around you was somehow in competition with you because you guys all have a similar interest. Was that the case or what was the environment like? Not really, because there was a lot of like ballet dancers because right across the street was, this, you know, a huge ballet. So obviously we have nothing really in common with that. But all the actors, like Melissa Joan Hart was there too in her grade. Not really. Like, everyone was cool with each other, to be honest with you. There was no, the school was too small. I think we only had like 25 kids in each grade. Wow. You know, so, and then when all 25 kids would all say they had the same edition, it got obvious. Yeah, so yeah, totally. Yeah, we had fun. So let me ask you about American Pie. Look, no offense, but you're talking about a post-high school long-distance relationship. And you and Kevin haven't even done it yet. That's not why we're going out. What do you expect him to drive to Cornell for? Milk and cookies? We're gonna have sex. When he's ready and I'm ready. It's gotta be completely perfect. I want the right time, the right moment, the right place. It's not a space shuttle launch, it's sex. Because, you know, going back to that time, that was such a wild concept for a film. I just want to know how that movie was pitched to you, specifically like the title, um, because at some point I imagine the title had to be explained to you. Why is this movie called American Pie? What, what is a pie doing in this film? Well, it wasn't called that. It was like the first movie, it was called How to Make a Movie Under $5 Million. It was ridiculous. Under $5 million and make it work, you know? And I'm like, what kind of script is this, you know? Like, and then they had it called um, some Michigan, Michigan Halls, you know, something crazy. And then finally they came up with American Pie, but it wasn't American Pie in the beginning, you know? So we didn't, we didn't know about that. So was the, was the part in the script though, where he fucks the pie? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, so a lot of actors passed on that movie. Like, so, you know, they thought it was just, it was too, out of control for that time. But, you know, it wasn't really that because when I when I think of that film, it's all heart besides like him with the pie, but that's even innocent. You know, like yeah. no one's picking on each other, no one's bullying each other. Everyone's just trying to find their way of life and, and grow up with it. So I think everyone had 
a character that they related to the most. Mm, totally. And, you know, and I think that's why the movie did so well. I remember when we went to, it was Cannes, went to the film festival, and it was all French people in it, you know, but we did it, you know, we did it there, and, and we were speaking in French, you know, like, they had a, you know, you know, they always like put your knee, your voice over something. And they laughed so hard. I was like, that's when I knew we did something special. You know, there are recent rumors swirling about a possible new American Pie film. And I'm just curious if that does materialize, would you be interested in being a part of a future American Pie? Oh, of course. We all would. We would all go back. I can't imagine no one going back. Everyone's okay. cool with each other. There was no like wars on the set. Uh, the directors are awesome. And it's just fun, especially because we grew up so long. Like we all kind of started at the same time. So we have a neutral like respect, you know, you know, when you, you know, you get up in your career. So when you start with those people, there's a, a, there's a family kind of feeling about that. Speaking of sequels, when I was talking to people in preparation for today about which film roles they wanted me to ask you about, everyone was going on and on about Josie and the Pussycats. No way. My favorite movie is Lady and the Tramp. When the dogs are eating spaghetti and they share the same piece. And, and their, their nose is touched. touched. <laughs> God, you know, if I wasn't a key player in this whole conspiracy to brainwash the youth of America with pop music, like we could totally date. You think? Oh, yeah. God, it's so cool. Like... Ah! Yeah, right, like I'd ever go out with a guy like you. Now you, on the other hand. Come on, let's get out of here and find Josie. I feel like people love this film. And I'm just curious, has it ever been brought up, the possibility of a sequel? This feels so ripe to revisit. I mean, it, that is probably one of the biggest cult films ever. But I think what happened on that movie, it was ahead of its time. Completely. You know, so all the under, like, all the messages, the subliminal messages, and, you know, Red is the new Black, Adidas is the new Puma. So people didn't get it yet. And there wasn't, at that time, there was no social media. So people didn't understand it yet. Now, if it would have came out now, I think it would have been a huge hit. But I have to tell you, out of every movie I've ever made, Melody was my favorite character, and that was the most fun I've ever had in my life on a movie. I mean, I got to wake up with Melody every day. And all she did is like laugh and be like a little airhead. And so there's like no problems with her, you know? Love Melody. It's interesting you mentioned Cruel Intentions and saying that it was ahead of its time, but people seem to sort of understand that. And I agree with you that with Josie and the Pussycats, I agree it was ahead of its time and people just didn't seem to lock in with that. But have you noticed that as years go on and on, I feel like people's admiration and appreciation from that film just grows more and more. Has that been the case for you? A hundred percent. I never realized how big it actually got. I mean, people, girls have come up to me and said, oh my God, you've changed my life. You've saved my life. And it's, it's kind of crazy. I'm like, Melody did, you know, like people really related to that film. They loved it, but you know, they love it more now because it didn't do well in the box office, which was pretty bad, but it's a great film, you know? And I would love to to almost go back and make a, a remake of it. And there's talk that they're going to make a remake of it, but with the boy band. No. So like, no Please don't. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, if they're going to do that, like, why don't you just let me be their, like, tour manager, at least, you know, to get in there somehow. But it would be awesome if we could all really do it again. I know my manager, Philippe, he called and said he wanted to see if he could get the rights to it. 
to make a sequel and they were like no way so let me just tell you, people really, really want that. Now, of all the leading men you've played opposite, Thomas Ian Nicholas, Ryan Reynolds, Ashton Kutcher, David Boreanaz, who did you get along with the best off screen? Probably David, you know, or Christian Slater, actually. Ooh, oh, sorry, I forgot that, yeah. Tell me more, because I'm a huge Buffy fan, and, and it's just so cool. You've crossed paths with Sarah, and then you worked with Allison in, in American Pie, and then David Boreanaz. So, yeah, what can you tell me more about what David was like? I'm just so curious about him. David's a really, really good actor, but he's really fun. He's a fun guy. And even though, Carrie, did you see the, the, that movie? The yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was just so good in it, and, like, he was just fun. Like, he was just always making jokes, always making fun, you know? And, like, on the weekends, we'd go out. You know, we were shooting in Utah. It was, like, a Mormon kind of area. So it wasn't, like, that much was going on. Yeah. Tito Ortiz was in it. And he's, like, this huge wrestler. And we had no idea. So we went out one night, and Tito comes with us. And everyone went crazy. And we're like, why? Because we didn't realize how big he was. So it was just fun. We had a good crew on that one. And, you know, Eddie Furlong, he's a great actor, you know, too. So, I mean, we just had a lot of good actors. The Sharknado films, obviously there's a huge fandom around this franchise. What is the best thing for you about being a part of a franchise that has as much staying power and as big of a fandom as Sharknado? Yeah, Sharknado was something that we never, ever expected. It was originally called uh, Dark Skies. So that, to us, it sounded like, a more, you know, much more classy you know, movie than Sharknado. <laughs> so when we got Sharknado, they didn't tell us again. It was like the third day in and they said, oh, we're changing the name to Sharknado. And I was like, no, 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 you, you can't do that. We're never going to work again. This is horrible. <laughs> like, it looked so, so bad. And Ian was doing the same thing. He was calling his agent. And obviously it turns to be the best blessing in disguise, you know, but when I read it, it was kind of like, it was so ridiculous, like so ridiculous. I was laughing out loud. And I remember going out to dinner that night, telling my friends like, oh my God, I just read the worst movie in the whole world, but I could not but like it. And then I was telling them what it's about. And all my friends were like, you have to do this movie. Tell you have to do it. So I called my agent and I'm like, all right, you guys, I, I was living in London at the time. I said, I'll do it. I'm gonna fly home and do this movie. I kind of thought, you know, I'll take the money and run and no one's gonna ever see this movie. And then I went to Mexico on vacation and we did no press for the movie, nothing. No one thought anything of the movie. And my phone starts blowing up like like crazy. Everyone's calling, calling, calling. Like I got nervous. I'm like, well, something's happening. Like is there an earthquake in LA or, or you know, like it was crazy. And they're like, Oh my God, you won't believe this. I'm like, what? You know, and they're like, Shark is trending number one. It's getting like a million hits per minute. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, like, I thought it was a joke. I thought I was getting like punked. And then when I left Mexico, I got on the, you know, I took a, the airline back home. And all of a sudden the stewardess says to me, oh my God, I love you in your movie. And I'm thinking American Pie, obviously. He's like, right. Sharknado is the best movie I've ever seen. And I'm like, what is going on? And then everyone on the streets was noticing it. Like, no one was talking about American Pie. It was just Sharknado now. And uh, it, was, it was just crazy. But I think one of the cool things about Sharknado too, it got me in a, a different crowd audience where it was mostly like, like you guys that knew me, but not like four and five and six-year-olds. So I got a lot of like a new fan base, which is really cool. 
And I think one of the interesting things, and you've seen this paradigm shift in Hollywood, where when you first started off, television was not the destination. It was all about film work. But as your career has gone on, and as you saw with Sharknado, it's like people watch TV now in these huge numbers and drive conversations online. So something like Sharknado can completely take off because of something like the internet. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything, the social media is everything right now. You know, it really is, especially in this pandemic. You, you can't really do too much, you know? So all you're doing is streaming like Netflix, Amazon, YouTube, you're even going on it, uh, Hulu. And right now, because of the shortage of content, people are dying for new shows. Completely. Really. So, yeah. And now what they're also doing like for film is because people can't go to the movie theaters, now HBO Max just did a deal with Warner Brothers so all their movies are going there. And then on, on demand are going there. So the box office is actually doing the best it's ever been because they're people at home watching it. Everyone's watching everything right now because you really can't see too much, you know? Completely. Speaking of something I've been watching, I've always wanted to ask you about this next topic. If you want to pass on it, just say pass. But I'm curious about a very iconic 2016 interview with Jenny McCarthy that was rather contentious. You look great now, so you're good and done not moving forward with plastic surgery. I think I've made that clear like about a hundred times. I know. Uh, yeah, I didn't hear that a hundred times. I'm so sorry. Maybe this is, you only read the bad things, but I've been made that really clear so many years. But so does know, it read what you want to read? But I was so, you know, it was really nice talking to you, and I really good luck with your show. And well, um, good luck to you awesome. too. And I'm so excited about Sharknado, and I hope you stay married. And I hope, I hope that you stay married too. I'm sure you're a nice I, guy. I will, and I hope your knees get a little wobblier than they already are. So I think have my a good knees. Day. Oh yeah, I hope your tits get even nicer because they're amazing. Same guy as mine, right? Thank you. Same yes, guy. fantastic. Yes. Same guy. I'll always yes. use your advice. You're the best. Bye. Love you, Tara. Good luck with Sharknado 18. I'm just curious if you could give any more insight about how you were feeling after the fact, because it seemed like she really sidelined you and was very disrespectful, given that you were giving her time and you were on there to promote your film. Can you illuminate at all, to the extent that you're comfortable with it, like what went down that day? I mean, it, it was very peculiar. You know, uh, I went there when you're doing, you know, I went there when you're doing a podcast, someone's supposed to start picking on you and putting you down. And it's not like even asking a question. Like she was just, she was horrible to me. I mean, and I was very uncomfortable. And the stuff she asked me, I was just like, you know what? I don't need to do this. Like, why? This is, and I knew it was going to get a lot of bad press because this is what she was saying. So I was like, I'm not going to go in this deeper and deeper, you know? And, and she was really hurtful and really rude. So I left, you know, and that was it. Have you two had any words in the subsequent years or has she ever reached out to try and apologize? Nothing, nothing at all. Would you accept an apology? I would never do a podcast again. Put it that way. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the final answer. <laughs> Fair. Tell me about your favorite thing about filming Paradise. It was just such an iconic reality show, and I'm just curious what your favorite part of it was. It was so much fun. I, I, it was like my concept. I was like, all right, guys, you know, when I was pitching it, I have a great idea. Why don't you pay me to go around the world to party and show you what it's like, all the people what it's like? And... They did, they went for it. And we literally went everywhere and partied and met all these people and all these places. And it was just crazy. I mean, it was exhausting because every day we were going somewhere else and we were partying somewhere each day. Like you couldn't do it like we did it. It was craziness. You know, I love you know, it. But I love it too. I mean, 
I, I wish it never went away. Like right now, could I do paradise? Probably not because I'm older. I don't think I could keep up. With oh, them. you could do it. You could do it. I mean, <laughs> let's see. But right now we can't even travel. But, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. When this is all over. Um, do you have any roles that you regret turning down? Not really. Not really. Like if I knew it was wrong for me or I, I, cause I was always working, you know, so. You really were. It's incredible. Yeah. It's done like over a hundred movies. So there wasn't one that, I really said I should have said yes to it. Either I just didn't get a part or it wasn't one that I was fighting for with me versus someone else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What would you say is the biggest misconception about you that seems to have stuck through the years? I think people don't know like how down to earth I am. Like, you know, and like, I, I, I am really kind. I'm a nice person. And I'm not just like, I think everyone thinks I'm just this party girl. You know, don't get me wrong. I like to have a good time for sure. But who doesn't, you know, at that age, who didn't, you know? So I think they really categorized me in such a way that was unfair. But, you know, I'm older now, it's, it's gone away a lot, but there's still that stigmata a little bit there. But my life has changed. Everyone's life has changed, you know? You, I'm not 20 anymore. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not in high school and, you know, I've moved on. Yeah. And speaking about that, you know, you endured quite a bit of body shaming throughout your life. What has given you the strength to withstand some of the mean, downright disgusting comments that some have made about your physical appearance over the years? I think those people are like, you know, really horrible. Like, it's like almost having a handicap, you know, like it's like making fun of a person that, that doesn't have, you know, legs or something like that, or someone that's really overweight, you know, or like, it's not funny being called names. and it went on for so long and it still exists like Dory Tyree, da, 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 you know, but I've learned to finally like not care as much, you know, like what doesn't kill you, you know, makes you stronger. And I really feel like that's my attitude in it. But when it was happening at the time, cause you know, you were just such a young person having to endure so much scrutiny because of this fame that came on so early on in your life. And I just feel like that must've been such a challenge as a young person specifically. I mean, you're talking about it now as an adult and being like really centered and able to digest and process it. But at the time, what was that like sort of experiencing, not even just the negativity, but so many people talking about you that didn't actually know you? Oh, I mean, that's hard, but I think, well, I, I also think that so many girls have had plastic surgery. There's not one that has it. So why are you making me the poster child of it? You would think I was the only one that, that's had it. and It's ridiculous. So, yeah, no, I didn't like it, but it's finally starting to go away because, like, what else are you guys going to keep saying? Like, mm -hmm. everyone knows that story already, so move on. Normally, I don't even talk about it. Fair. I have a question. If you were ever asked to be on The Real Housewives today, would you ever consider it? No. Never. No. Would you do reality television in any form again? Don't think so. Maybe if there's a paradise again. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A couple last questions. What would you say is your proudest achievement in your career thus far? Oh, that's a good question. I guess it's what's happening right now. It's the first time that I'm not on one side as an actor. Mm. I'm the one that's calling up the agents, making the offers. I'm, I'm like, you know, the biggest agents from CAA, William Morris. Like, and I'm like, Hi, this is Tyree. I'm calling in to make an offer for, you know, whoever it is. And they're like, what? So I think it's put me on a, a level where I'm really getting respected as a businesswoman, not just an actor. So I think I'm, definitely that's the most proud I've been because I, I, I turn the tables, you know, and it's hard to do that. And I definitely see that I've done that. And 
it's been an incredible experience. Do you think there's any bit of misogyny in that? Do you think that if you were a man in this industry trying to sort of go from the acting side over, over to the producing side, it would have been easier? Because it sounds like there were a lot of challenges that, that you faced with people's preconceptions of who you were. I think that, no. I think that right now is very all about women power. A lot of it's changed. So I don't think that at all. But years ago, yes, mm. you know, for sure, yes, but not, not anymore. It's all about women, you know, empowerment and, and you know, it, there's a lot there. So they know not to go there, you know. Yeah. So it's good, actually. I, I came into it at the right time. Two last questions. What is one thing you would tell the Tara Reid of 1997? Oh, wow. <laughs> Still home. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that could be applicable to today. <laughs> exactly. That would be your advice though. What do you mean by that? Because everywhere I went, I got paparazzi everywhere. Everywhere they're outside my car, they're outside the club. Like I couldn't get away with anything, you know? And yet everyone was doing the same thing, but I had gotten in trouble for it, you know? So that's why I said, stay home. <laughs> do, you, do you think it would have been a good thing if social media were around when we were younger? Or do you think that that would have been bad? Because on the one hand, you can control, you know, you see these stars say these young people and they can control the narrative that comes out about them through their social media. But at the same time, it's like that can also get them into a lot of trouble. Do you ever think about like how life would have been different if that was the case? Yeah. I mean, in a certain way, it would be good because you could defend yourself what really did happen, you know? But it was actually, now that I look at it now, I'm so glad there wasn't social media then. We've, like, and it's also different. Like when we had social media, but no, before we didn't have it, a lot more celebrities hung out with each other. Like it, it was more fun because we didn't get caught and we had a lot of fun. Now everyone's afraid of each other. You don't see it that much anymore. Hmm, that's so interesting. Who would you say is like your closest celebrity friend that you've kept in touch with through the years? Um, I would have to say probably Rachel Lee Cook. Amazing. Yeah. Sorry. yeah. And, and Natasha Leone. So, Love. Yeah. Taste. Yeah. You mentioned these upcoming projects you have at the start of the interview. Of everything that you have on your plate, and it really sounds like you just had an incredible year of, of acting and producing, of everything that you have in the pipeline right now, what can you tease as the, the project that you're most excited about or you most want to get people excited about? I got to tell you, all the way. It's my baby project. Masha's mushroom all the way. It's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. I promise. And it's not just one, you know, so it's going to go like for the next five years. So when can we expect the next like update? Oh, uh, I think we're going to start shooting in uh, probably the end of February or March. So, you know, that will be turned around. We want to kind of just go right into the next one and the next one, but it's going to depend on my schedule because I have so much other movies happening, but we want to do it like, at least like kind of like the Fast and the Furious where they have one coming out every year and something they do back to back, you know, so that would work, you know, so we're, we're, we're kind of figuring that out now. And also we're going to be able to change the characters because remember it's all, you know, you're tripping. You don't even know if it happened. So we're going to have some people come in, some people come out. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really cool. I'm not I can't really wait. Excited about it. I really can't wait. I hope you give us some behind the scenes on your social throughout the filmmaking process because we yeah, really want to follow along. Um, very last question. What do you think is, it is about you that has made you such a gay icon? I don't know. I, have no idea. I don't know. Like, uh, everyone tells me that, but I don't know. I swear I don't know. Like, but I, they, I have true love. Probably because I love them so much. I mean, it works for me. You know, like, I just love, you know, and they're, and they're not like, uh, 
Like if I look bad, they're like, uh, you better change. You know what I mean? Or, <laughs> or you know, they're so honest where your other friends will be like, yeah, fine. You look great. And you look like shit, you know? So it's, it's just a relationship I have with them in my life, but I don't really, really know, but maybe it's just everything, but it's, it's, I'm definitely a, I find it amazing. And definitely a, is a, you know, a really big compliment to me. And I really appreciate it. Love that. I want to thank you so much. I respect you so much and your incredible career. And I really want to encourage anyone listening, A, to follow you on social media, on Instagram and on Twitter, to keep up with Masha's Mushroom, as of course we all will be, and to just like revisit your iconic film work. You, going through your resume, you've just been in so much. You have so many incredible roles. Put some respect on Tara Reid's name, revisit her filmography, get into it, and her television work. Hello, Scrubs. Anyway, Tara, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And I look forward to all of your continued success. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed my interview with you anytime. Thanks. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, Tara. Take care. You too, guys. Bye-bye. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut Up Evan is produced by Matt Storm, with associate production by Ryan Killian Krause, and social media by Sean Ross. An extra special thank you to our Patreon supporters, without whom none of this would be possible. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.